This is a, a chapter where there's a two-part healing, and we're going to go into the second part of that chapter. Um, the woman has already touched the, the hem of Jesus' garment, but Jesus is on his way now to the daughter of a man who has... Uh, well, he's, gonna, he's lost his daughter. She's dead. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came out of the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, Jesus took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up, stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Father, bless this reading, Lord, to us. May it enliven and strengthen our hearts, we pray. We offer it all to you, Lord. Amen. Now keep your Bibles open if you do have them open. Um, because this passage was very deliberately chosen on my part, I'd like to think of it as a kind of um, foundation to the key verse for this year, which you have on your cards. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Because something really, um, really stood out for me as I was preparing this. And we do know that every single human being, every single one of us, is called under the gospel to follow Jesus Christ. That's it. We know that that's a given, right? And we'll explore a little of what that might look like as we go throughout January. But for now, as we enter another year, 2023, just in case you haven't kept up, it's going so fast, isn't it? Come on. It's like, when will it all slow down? But time never goes slow or fast, does it? It just seems to race through, though. But as we go through another year, let it be a year of prayerful expectation. Prayerful because that's the very foundation, the engine room of the Christian life. An expectation. Why expectation? Because if you don't have any expectation in the living one, in the holy one, in the one who became a man and was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again and ascended, if you have no expectations in that, then it's not Christianity that you're dealing with. But prayerful expectation. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead whether you feel it or not, church, is in you. Do you believe that? Good. Okay, that's just about strong enough. Okay. So prayerful expectation. But our culture 
as Barbara so wonderfully elucidated in her prayer for us, is going in the other direction. Have you noticed? <laughs> it's pretty obvious. And it's accelerating, isn't it? This opposite direction, this opposite repentance, doing the U-turn away from God. And what does every U-turn away from God look like in the end? Well, Baal worship is what it looks like. This is where our culture is heading whenever it turns away from God. It becomes a parody of idolatry that we read about in the Old Testament. This is really serious. So our culture's going in the opposite direction, which reminded me of a story of a lady, an old lady who was watching the news. And on the news, there was an item that there was a crazy man driving the wrong way down the motorway. So she thought, I must call my husband to warn him. So she phones her husband on the mobile phone. He answers. She said, I've just seen the news, darling. There's a crazy man driving the wrong way down the road. Do be careful. He said, don't you worry about that. There's more than one. There are dozens of them. But our culture is going in the wrong direction, like our man was. And yet within the living memory of the majority of people here today, we know that something has fundamentally shifted in the world. We must know, surely. Barbara's prayer against the aggressiveness of, of the world to the church, to to Christians in particular, in the usual suspects of the countries that persecute Christians. But something has shifted. There is a sinister hatred of the church that's growing at many levels of society. Just two weeks ago, a woman in Birmingham was arrested by the police for praying in her head. Birmingham, UK. Something has fundamentally shifted. And so the title of my sermon is, Hold Your Nerve. Because we may not go through this troubling time with the degree of pain that our sons and daughters will. We may be like Hezekiah. Well, if I have ten more years, at least it won't happen in my lifetime. Fine. But love your sons and daughters and your grandchildren. They're going to go through it in a way that we could never have imagined. Because the culture's changed. It's the world we live in. So it wasn't long ago that we could say to people, as Jesus said to them in verse 36, in our evangelism or in our pastoral ministry, don't be afraid, we could say with a hand on the shoulder. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And in a Christian worldview or a Christian framework of understanding the world such as that we've now lost, that would have worked. Don't be afraid, just believe. But it doesn't work now. It doesn't cut it now. But to say this in our days of deep institutional suspicion, which is what we live in, to say this in the days of profound splintering of political and um, cultural and ideological ideas where there is an almost uniform denial of the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have lived through and benefited from. That's why Os Guinness calls us a cut flower civilization. The flowers 
in the vase. We don't have flowers today. That's a shame. That would have been ideal, wouldn't it, to point to them. But cut flowers look beautiful for how long? Not long. Then what happens? They obviously start to decline, don't they? That's our culture. The mood has shifted. Another word for mood is what the Bible calls the spirit of the age, the principalities and powers. We are in the age where our fundamental witness in the world must run wide and it must run deep. It just must. Just saying, just believe, won't cut it. And one would have to be willfully blind not to notice these changes. Uh, just as a, by way of evidence, I, I just want to flag this book up again. Peter and I read this a couple of years ago and did a, a video interview on the church YouTube channel. Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies, a phrase that comes out of Alexander Solskinitskin from the Gulag Archipelago, the guy who knows what totalitarian, authoritarian nonsense means, the brutalization and what it means for the West as it turns its back on God, on the Judeo-Christian tradition. Check out the interview that we did. Thank you, Peter. Just wave around, Peter, for that. Thank you. Um, and read the book. It's so inspiring and, and, and painful and heartbreaking. But this is one of the tools that we have for how we live out our lives and respond in this context. How do we remain faithful and vibrant and true. How do we do that? I'm saying all of this very deliberately on the first day of the year, church. I'll say it again next week as well. And the week after that. How many weeks in a year? And 52 weeks later. This is the world we live in. And Christ has called us to bear witness in this world. Now, most of us have redemption anxiety for members of our family. Eh? We do, don't we? But you can trust God that the judge and Lord of all the universe will do right because he's righteous. But we do have redemption anxiety because many of our loved ones have also turned their back on Christ. They've dispensed with Christianity. And we may even encourage them to come to church or to repent and believe, but they just say no from indifference and coldness to, well... Maybe they laugh like they did at Jesus. Maybe they laugh. But what if we just loved them into the life that Christ gives and trust God with the rest, trust God with the outcome? I have to with my boys. You will have to with your boys and girls. What if we understand our place in, the, in our culture? And all that that entails. What if we just keep doing what Christians do, which is to simply follow Jesus? Just keep doing that and see what God will do. Because what happens next in the story? We've moved from verse 36, don't be afraid and just believe, to verse 40 where they laughed at him. And now we follow the story where Jesus is taking them into the room where the dead girl is, verse 42. And we read immediately, the formerly dead girl stood up and walked around. So Jesus has performed a miracle of resurrection. He just got on with it. He just got on with demonstrating what the power of God can do. Even if the laughter rings in the air, 
Even if the culture laughs at us. Even if you get arrested for praying in your head on a street in Birmingham or Taunton or London or wherever. There is something for us to demonstrate. We are called to go beyond just believing to action. We've often been guilty of, oh, don't worry about that question, just believe. Don't ask questions, just believe. We don't want to be a church culture that closes down questions or the inquiring mind. We want to pursue these things, don't we? Allow a flourishing culture of questioning as though the Christian faith requires a kind of intellectual lobotomy. It doesn't. Now, sometimes, as you've all read the papers and seen on the news, Christianity is held up to ridicule in odd ways, especially in a liberal Western society like ours. Verse 40, they laugh at us publicly, demonically. Do you have eyes to see it? I was watching a comedian a few weeks ago, and um, he made a religious joke. And it was related to church decline, how less than 50% of people in this country identify as Christian. Anybody remember that stat that came out from the latest uh, census? So he made the point that because the majority of people no longer identify as Christian, he said, too right they don't, because we've all grown the hell up, he said. I just thought, what an infantile, childish, ignorant thing to say. What did the crowd do when he made this joke? They laughed like hysterically screeching. Like, what is this? Can you imagine how many Christians would have been in that audience finding themselves laughing, feeling like Judas that they betrayed their Lord again? But it was the power of the crowd. It's one of those moments where if you don't laugh, you'll be singled out for sure. It was like watching a group of seals clapping for their fish supper. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. But again, a subtle undermining of the church. It was sickening to watch, and I've got quite a broad taste in comedy. It was just so dumb. It was so ill-thought-out, so ill-judged. To say that we've all grown up is an utter infantile statement to make about something that he clearly knows nothing about, this comedian. I wonder how many people wept internally as they clapped externally. How many wept inward tears of regret at their own infidelity. But the herd claps and so we must clap too. This is, this is the power of the herd mentality. This is the power that is shaping our societies. But the reality is very different. Why, church, you will know the answer to this. Why are people in our culture dispensing with Christianity? <laughs> All right, that was not a rhetorical. Maybe it should be a rhetorical question, okay. Because of what? What's the fundamental reason why people would do that? Hmm? Yes, who said that? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Carol. It's because of sin. 
And sin is always very attractive, isn't it? It woos us, it wins us, it persuades us, it convinces us. It always looks lovely most of the time until you live with the entailments of it and then it's a catastrophe. Then it's awful. Then there's breakdown. And then there's death. So, <laughs> on that note, Happy New Year. No, hang on. Um, on that note, as we begin another new year, another year where we resolve again to follow Christ, we resolve in prayer to deepen our own prophetic imagination, not to dumb or dull it down, but to allow it to flourish. That's what the prophets do. They have imagination. And we resolve to understand this and it really is a culture of despair that we now live in. And your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will know more about this than we do. They're in it. It's their world. But their, the laughter of the world, church, is only the window dressing of Satan's smile. It's lipstick on a pig. That's all it is. And his time is short. He's on a leash. And he too will finally be cast into the pit by Christ who has conquered. We've got to hold our nerve. We've got to see through the sinful veneer for what it is and just hold our nerve. And go to where the dead are. That's what Jesus was doing. He went to where the dead person was. With the laughter still ringing in the air, he goes despite the laughter and in this way, church, we wipe Satan's smile off his ugly face and then we will see Jesus reigning as king in this place. And in this way, the dead are raised and the laughter becomes one of divine joy and praise. I finish with this. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12 says, You turned my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Amen. Amen.